Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Matt hanging out with you here this week. And uh, speaking of week, it's been a big week in professional bull riding now. Three men have won events here. We're only five events into the season and already two guys have two wins. Lockwood, Joao. But this weekend, it, uh, it stayed in the home state, Oklahoma City. Home to another Ryan Dirt Eater victory last season. He talked about the struggles and the stress and the the extra pressure he put on himself to do well in front of the home state. Well, last year it worked out and he won in Oklahoma City. Guess what? This year he does the same thing. He steps up in Oklahoma City and he wins. So if I'm Ryan Dirt Eater, I'm begging the PBR, let's have every single event in Oklahoma City. Use that home field advantage, if you will. So congrats to the Cooper Tire Cowboy, Ryan Dirt Eater, on a big win. Funny story because um, – and I put it out there on social media, on Instagram and Facebook earlier this week. I, I've known Ryan since he was a, a little bitty guy riding in the National Junior Bull Riders Association before either one of us ever even got close to the PBR. It was still a pipe dream to say the least. I was announcing his name at little bitty kids events, little junior bull riding. So it's it's been a lot of fun to to kind of have our careers go hand in hand and go side by side and, and to be able to enjoy it with him. Uh, a couple of small town Oklahoma kids starting a junior bull riding. And, and then now this weekend, I got to stand on stage in the Chesapeake Energy Arena in Oklahoma City where the Thunder play. And I got to interview uh, a buddy of mine for a, a long, long time. So congrats to Ryan Dirt Eater. Uh, if you're following along with the PBR, what a ride it is already this season. Just five events into it. Uh, it's been a whole lot of fun. Um, I, I posed the question at the beginning of this podcast <clears throat> weeks ago. And I asked you guys who you wanted me to have on the podcast. I'm going to do that again because here here we are several episodes in. And I'm going to put it out on social media here in the next couple of days. I want you guys to tell me who you want to hear from. Tag them. Tag who you would want me to sit down and have a conversation with. And, and if I can get them, if I can get them roped into doing the podcast with me, I'm going to start putting it out there uh, beforehand and, and let you guys submit questions and and I don't think there's any questions that are, you know, that are uh, out of the realm of possibility. I don't mind a little uh, back and forth. I don't mind a little disagreement. As a matter of fact, last night, uh, watched the State of the Union address. I know a lot of people on, on either side of the fence. I love politics. Roommate Dave, you like politics? I know we watched it last night. Any, any chance you're ever going to run for political? No, no, I didn't think so. Uh, I don't think I'm ever going to run for political office either. Let's keep uh, all those skeletons in the closet way back there where they belong. Uh, maybe mayor of Delaware someday. I, I already kind of the self-proclaimed mayor of Delaware, but in, in my own little world. I, I digress. But anyways, uh, State of the Union address, and, and I just woke up this morning. I woke up in the greatest country in the world, so today's a great day, and, and I hope that you guys have a smile on your face. I hope you guys are enjoying this week and, and every week as much as I have been because uh, you know what? No matter how bad our days get, we're all still pretty lucky that uh, we get to wake up every morning. So uh, I gl I'm so glad that you guys are listening to this podcast. Hopefully you guys haven't changed the channel already and you're still listening. Um, I'll go back to what I was saying a minute ago. Matt L. West on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Let me know who you want me to to sit down and chat with on this podcast. Again, I'm going to put something out there in the next couple of days. But this week, this week I got to sit down with a guy that, that I grew up being a fan of. You know, I talked about me and Dirt Eater starting our careers together a long, long time ago. Um, started as a fan of the PBR and watching guys like Greg Tra Crabtree and, and Joe Baumgartner and Dennis Johnson. And there was this other guy that, that had broke his neck a couple of times, and I thought, man, that guy's he's one of the toughest human beings God ever created. And uh, I watched him as a fan on TV and going to PBR events, and then later on in life, my career path would cross with his because when he retired from fighting bulls, he decided to start announcing and use his knowledge of the sport to uh, inform and entertain fans. And that's where we we first really met up was announcing bull rides together. And I'm talking about the legendary Rob Smets, the kamikaze kid, five-time world champion bullfighter. And um, there's, there's, there's stories that, that Rob and I have accumulated over the years, one being um, shaping a hat in a, in a hot dog, water boiler or whatever they use in concession stands to to uh anyways you'll hear you'll hear us talk about that 
Um, just one of the crazy stories we have. A guy that that I I grew up being a fan of. I became friends with, and I'm still a fan of. He's just an extraordinary man. Um, he's got such an awesome outlook on life, such a uh, a strong, strong faith, and uh, you know, a good Christian guy, a guy that I wish there was a lot more like. So, for me, it's me, Rob Smith, Scott Grover, all just hanging out in a room, sitting there chit chatting. I said, "Hey, let's let's record this. I want to I want to record a podcast." And, and Rob obviously obliged, and so here we are. Um, keep it short, sweet, and to the point this week. Hit me up on social media, Matt L. West. Don't forget the L. Um, but let's get to it. This conversation with uh, a hero of mine, five-time world champion, bullfighter, the legendary kamikaze kid, Rob Smets. Oh, I, okay, now we, we got I, all I that out of our system. I, don't, I, don't need to be, I don't need to be incriminating people, you know? <laughs> we get a, f- a few of the good stories out of the way before we get things underway. I, I think we've kind of got you figured out on this podcast world. Like, you kind of, you got the app now. You can kind of <laughs> download. It's it's different. It's a yeah. different world than when you first started fighting bulls, I bet. Oh, I'm sure. There's, ho- there's a whole lot of things different about than when I first started fighting bulls. I want to I go back, and, and I just, I want to start with, Maybe the thing that glares at me the most, the Kamikaze Kid. Who gave you that name? You know, the nickname come, and I can't even say who gave it to me. A lot of guys started talking about me being a Kamikaze, like a Kamikaze pilot. And they said, you got a death wish. And I said, I don't have a death wish. I don't try anything that I don't think I can get away with. There's just a lot I think I can do. And the jumps, you know, I jumped a lot of bulls over the barrel throughout my career, and I would go as far as to say that there's probably nobody ever jumped as many bulls over the barrel as I did. And obviously it'd have been better if I'd have just stuck to that. Cause that jumping off the ground sure hurt my neck. I think that's kind <laughs> of a, I, I think it's kind of lost these days, you know? guys that jump bulls from the barrel. I, you don't see it happen very often. You don't see it happen a lot. And, and you've got your quotation mark protection bullfighters that think that that's all they just want to step out there and step back and mm-hmm. it's it's not like what it used to be you know and and the now you've got guys fighting through three guys at a time the triangle and, and i guess that's fine um but I'll, I'll match that triangle you put me in miles in our heyday and I just as soon work the two guys as I would three. Now you spent a lot of time with Miles back in the day. Back in the day, Miles and I, Miles, myself, Jimmy Anderson. You know, I fought. I fought bulls. I was really blessed in the era that I came on. Yeah. I, I was. I'm four years younger than Miles, and when I came on, Miles. I picked up a bunch from Miles. I picked up a bunch from Jimmy Anderson. Who there was no backup in Anderson and great fundamentals. Skipper Voss. And, and, and the king, Wickpath. You know, I learned how to hop and, and not get my feet crossed over and get those bulls started one way and then break back the other. Skipper taught me how to do the step through on a chair in the dressing room in Omaha, Nebraska. Really? You know, Miles and I, the first time we fought bulls, I was telling Scott this earlier today, that the first time we fought bulls, we were in Omaha, Nebraska, or not in Omaha, Monroe, Louisiana. And... <laughs> fighting bulls and I'd won the deal at the Cow Palace. I was 18 years old and this is the first time we get to work a rodeo together for Jim Shoulders and Shoulders always started a rodeo with the bull ride and ended the rodeo with the bull ride and first day, first section and three bulls into it, we're nose to nose in the middle of the arena, you know, and Miles gives me a, what the heck are you doing? And I'm cleaning up my language a little bit yeah. here and I said, well, <laughs> well, you're the great Miles Hare, do something. You know, John Taylor was working the barrel and shoulders come riding up alongside John Taylor. And he said, what the hell's going on up there? And he says, you got two young bulls and too small a pasture. <laughs> and, and shoulders goes, hey, he, shoulders come up there and he rode his horse right between us. And he said, hey, you guys ain't got to worry about fighting each other. I got plenty. And he just kept bringing them. He just them. kept bringing them. And shoulders had all kinds of hooking bulls. So we got through the first section. We went and sat in the locker room. And we sat about the distance that you and I are in chairs staring at each other for the next two hours till it was time to go back and finish. And the next year, I got hired to go work Fort Worth with Miles. And about halfway through Fort Worth, Fort Worth's a war zone, yeah. you know. And 
all of a sudden, we, the light came on on both of us, I think, that it, it was sure pretty nice to be working with somebody that had as much talent as you. And I can remember being about the 13th perf, me looking at Miles and going, will you jump this thumb of gun and get us out of here? You know, and from there on, the friendship evolved and became, and, you know, we end up working the national finals together on three occasions. Uh, we win... We win a co-world championship in 1988 at the end of 32 go-rounds. We end up dollar for dollar, penny for penny the same. Really? And, uh, you know, the only time in the history of the Wrangler bullfights that happened. And really, if it wouldn't have been for Miles Hare in 1983, we were in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And at the end of the third go-round, we're sitting at, back at the hotel drinking some beers that night. And I look over at Miles and say, you know what? I'm going home. Yeah. I'm tired of winning second to you. I'm tired of banging my head, you know, and uh, I said, I'm, I'm going home. And Miles goes, you're not going home. He goes, you fight bulls good. He goes, quit trying all the crazy stuff. Get back to your fundamentals and do what you're supposed to be doing. And lo and behold, I win the last go around at Fort Smith. I won the next five bullfights in a row and win the world championship the first time in 1983 at, at Oklahoma City. <coughs> And so Miles Hare, though he only wears two gold buckles, he's responsible for seven of them. So he's essentially, if you're Magic Johnson, he's Larry Bird. He's he's he, he's done. been he, you know, and Miles Hare was never afraid of the competition because Miles Hare Miles Hare is the kind of guy that will give you the shirt off his back and say, "Now come beat me," because he knows that it's going to raise his level, and that's what it did. We pushed each other, and it brought both of our games up. But All I, think, the time. I think if you're a fan of, of anything, that's what you want to see. You want to see competitive guys. That's why I talk so much about, and you and I have talked a lot the last couple of days, especially about guys that are sore losers. Now, the way that you handle that and present that is different, but I don't want a guy that that is okay with losing. I, no. I, want, I want to be a fan of a guy that is mad but takes that anger and puts it towards winning next time. Right. And and those are the kind of things that you've got to be able to go, this is what I did wrong. You've got to be able to see it and acknowledge it. You know, it's like sin. Yeah. It's like sin in our lives. Sin, we have to acknowledge it, we have to repent of it. We ask the Father for forgiveness. We hold our, we stand up, we hold our head up and we start marching back on. Yeah. And it's the same thing with sports. You know, you you've got to be able to realize that you made a mistake, acknowledge it. Know what you need to do to fix it. Rub your eyes and forget it, yeah. and then start focusing on now. How do I go about doing things right? Was Miles your favorite person to work with? You know, Miles and Miles and Jimmy. Yeah. You know, Jimmy. Jimmy was as solid as a rock, and unfortunately, he passed away way too young. Uh, and you know, and, and Rex Dunn was good. The very first NFR I worked was Rex Dunn and I, and we had never even worked a rodeo together. We really? both, we get voted to work the NFR together in 1983, and we'd never worked a performance together. And so you put two guys together at the biggest rodeo in the world, and here we go. What's that like? You know? I mean, like, well, and, and it's getting a little feel for each other because your styles of fighting bulls. The and, NFR, you don't have a whole lot of time to kind of no, feel things out. No, and you've got the best fifteen guys, and and so you've got to just learn to to get along. It's a lot like getting behind the microphone yep. and showing up at an event where all of a sudden they're going to put two guys together and. You know, you haven't worked in timing as we both, you know, having learned a lot more about that myself. I stepped on Scott a couple times today, you know, because. Yeah, but it's be fine. He's just somebody. in the way anyways. He's in the way. It's okay to step on somebody was, if they're in the way. I was sure glad Scott had awful big shoulders this week. And he, he carried me very well. He's all right. I, I don't want to give him too much credit just because he's sitting here, but uh, he, he's not bad. But you've worked with so many guys that that. I mean, you've had so many incredible partners. I have. I have. I've, I've been blessed. I mean, I've worked with Ketchum. I've worked with Bumgardner. I've worked with Jimmy. I've worked with Joe or, I mean, Miles, Skipper, Wickpath. First time I work with Wickpath, I'm in St. Paul, Oregon, and I can remember I was just 21, 22 years old. And I'm out in front of those sheets and I'm stretching, <laughs> and boy, and the, my breast getting shorter and shorter and shorter, and I'm like, man, I'm working with the king. And Wick walks up and sticks a finger in my chest. He goes, "Hey, kid, you gotta breathe." <laughs> <laughs> you know, but Wick, Wick was good to me too. You know, I mean, I, I worked, I was blessed to work with a lot of good guys, 
and they they all spoke into my career, and I and I took it all in, you know. And I I would say I was a big combination of Miles, Jimmy, Skipper, and Wick. Is there anybody you look back and you go, man, I, I wish. I wish I could have worked a, a few rounds with this guy, or, or I wish I could have stepped in there with another guy. You know, I I worked with the best guys in the world, and like I said, you, you work with them, like Bumgardner, right? Work with Ketchum, Miles, Jimmy, Wick, Skipper, Crabtree. Yeah. Crabtree had the worst fundamentals of them all, but you want to talk about a big, tough, tough son of a so gun tough. that had all the game in the world and probably got me a couple extra years in my career because he just kept the fire lit in me. He was always digging. He was always digging and pushing on me, you know, and, the, hey, when are you going home? You know, going home? I got you going home here. And, you know, it, it, it was good. The first few times I got to come around the PBR as a fan before I ever started announcing, it hadn't even really crossed my mind but i got to come around a couple of times he was always you know i mean you guys were around you won't remember it but i mean because i was just a, a little punk kid that was just a random fan but i remember crabtree being in the locker room or coming down the hallway and you could and hear him coming from a mile you could away hear him and, and it was like when he walked down the hallway you could just feel like okay i feel like i'm supposed to be ramped up yeah and then he might punch a wall or a door or something just i mean his motor, he, it was running. And there was no guy ever more proud of being from South Texas than Greg Crabtree. I mean, it's South Texas. Why would you be too you, proud of it? You know, he hey, he was just so proud of being there. And them South Texas Brennels. And now, I don't know, he, he just, he liked it. Now, you were, you were born out here, right? I was born out here. I was born, born in, in Palo Alto, California, home right there by Stanford. But you kind of moved around. My dad did heavy early. construction work. We lived in Thailand three years, 1966 to 1969, yeah. during the Vietnam War. My dad built the Utapau Air Force, Air Force Base in the Sadahip Naval Port. We were there three years. Then we lived in Singapore for a year. We lived in Puerto Rico a year. And then I spent three years in Australia. My dad worked on the copper mines up in New Guinea, and then he built the breakwater out in front of the Sydney Airport. And that's where I first got on my horses. And got on my first couple of calves, and rodeo. the rodeo bugs started to bite just a little bit there. But my dream was to always play center field for the San Francisco Giants. Really? Willie Mays was my hero. I, I wanted to play baseball, and that was why we came home from Australia at the end of my eighth grade year, because it was time to, you know, get ready to go to high school, and I wanted to play ball. And, but yet, we started going to a couple of junior rodeos, and then sitting on the fence my sophomore year, I was Donnie Landis and a... Frank Gomes were working our high school rodeo, and I kept, get up there, hit him on the head, you know. And I said, well, if you think it's so damn easy, get off the fence and show us how. Right. And not that I did anything fantastic, but, I mean, back in school, I, I boxed. I played football. Contact sports, I, I'm all about the contact. And, Basically anything where you had to be tough. Yeah, you know, if you if you were going to butt heads, I'm like, I'm, pick, yeah. pick me, I'll play that game. And, yeah. and didn't do anything fantastic, but man, a couple of near misses, and it, this was all of a sudden the wildest game of tag I'd ever played, and it was it was a lot of fun. And how old were you? I was sixteen. Sixteen. So, starting in high school, you guys move back to the states. You wanna you wanna play for the Giants? Baseball is it. You kind of get struck by this bug, and, and then I set was my that, mitt down. Really? That was it. That I was didn't it. Wanna, I didn't want to play no more ball, and I can remember. Uh, <clears throat> Starting, and then the next year, Frank Gomes started working the what is now the CCPRA, the California Cowboys Association Rodeos. He, he climbed up the ladder. Well, it opened a spot in our high school rodeos. So Donnie Landis and I worked together, and Donnie's dad was a rodeo clown of the 50s and 60s. And Bill would sit on the fence and go, you need to do this, and you need to do that. And, well, and that's what I was going to ask. Did you have anybody that set you down and said, you know what, here's the fundamentals, here's how you do it, or did you just kind of watch and observe and, and learn? He never stuff? really told us the fundamental, like getting you slide down the chute and slide down the chute. That came with Jimmy and, and Miles, you know, as, as I worked more with them. Then I worked with a guy named Brian McNair that was from down there in Fort Worth and had hair down to his shoulders. And that old Brian McNair is about 6'1", 6'2", and he he could fight bulls. Yeah. And I, I worked with him my r rookie year, working a lot of Bob Cook's rodeos. And McNair, them girls would be lined up from here to the building for that old Brian. And old Brian would flip <laughs> that hair, have that old Texas drawl. And, 
he'd kind of wink at one and away they'd go. They'd be they'd be on, you know. Oh yeah, and, it's and, that and, easy for a lot of us, you yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's never been that my problem. But uh, McNair, you know, I've I fought bulls with him, and he got me going at things. And then, like I said, I started going back. I came to the south. I went and introduced. I won the Cow Palace in 1978, my year after I'd been in high school. And won the bull first bullfighting contest there. Wick won it in '77. I won it in '78. The next year I went to Denver. To How old the, were you? I was 18 and a half okay. years old. Go to go to Denver that next January, and I walk up to Jim Shoulders and introduce myself to him and said that uh, I'd like to come work his rodeo, work some rodeos for him. And he goes, "You're from California. You can't fight bulls." Well, of course not, because he's from Oklahoma. And, and, that's and, where- and I oh. said, come on. You know, I said, I-, I want a chance. I said, I know that if I stay in California, I end up being a stock contractor's bullfighter, and I'll never get my dream. I want to work the NFR. So shoulders, he just kind of shook my hand and kind of did away with me. And then the next day he comes back and he says, hey, I was talking last night and Donnie and Marvin Paul and Pete, they were telling me that they'd seen you at the Cow Palace and that you'll take a pretty good shot and get up and try one. He goes, I'll bring you to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Monroe, Louisiana. And he goes, but you don't fight bulls at Baton Rouge. You'll be on a plane so fast you won't think you heard the word Monroe. Really? I said, yes, sir. That's all I wanted. Give me a chance. And uh, I got to Baton Rouge. I worked with David Burnham. 13-foot solid block. Well, if you've never been to Baton Rouge, it looks like a place where you'd throw the Christians to the Lions. Matter of fact, that's where I – I think that's the first time Scott and I worked together was in Baton Rouge. First right? time you and I ever worked. They got up. the ladders hanging off the wall. There's about Good four news ladders. is the weather's always beautiful down oh, yeah. there in Baton Rouge, right yeah. there next to the water. Yeah, yeah, it never gets too hot or anything. But anyways. Four ladders down each wall, you know, and I walk in there, and there's all these big high horn brindles, and I'm thinking – what in the hell have I got myself <laughs> into, you know? But I get around the first couple of bulls, and it's like, hey, a bull's a bull. And Burnham and I get by five purse, and then the next week I stay and I kind of work on the crew. They'd split it. It was a nine-performance rodeo. And Miles and Jimmy or Miles and Bob Romer come there behind us, and they finish, they finish the last purse. The other big thing I remember is we go we'll go over to the room that one day and Miles and Romer are sharing a room. They just had got done working the Fort Worth stock show. Romer goes to change britches that day, and as he pulls his britches down, I mean from his butt cheeks all the way down both legs, it's black, blue, purple, green, yellow. And I looked over at him and I said, Romer, what the heck happened to you? And he goes, Fort Worth. <laughs> and Bobby Romer, if you, for those of you that don't ever know Bob Romer, all he ever drank was Dr. Pepper. Huh? And I mean, he was a Dr. Pepper-aholic, but no matter how much of a hook and Bob Romer took, if there was a dance that night, he was at the dance, and like I was talking about Brian McNair, them ladies were there lined up, and that Bobby Romer could dance people's boots off. He was something to see. And I want to go back to Australia, because you said that's kind of where the where you first started getting the, the bug for horses and the love for horses. Chris Cox talks a lot about, you know, he spent a lot of time in Florida, but it was when he was in Australia is when he really started to understand the horse. What was it for you? What were you doing? I mean, were you working on a ranch? Were you just riding? We had it. We'd bought a couple horses. We had them. They were in our backyard there. I, I got into just riding horses. I, I learned to ride English. Mm-hmm. I uh, rode in some jumping classes. I rode in Gymkhana classes. And- time out. Time out. I just want everybody that listening right now to let that soak in. Picture Rob Smets. Uh yeah. Anyways, okay, we'll keep going. Okay, picture picture Rob Smets. I had a little pony called Jim that was a twelve and a half hand pony that could jump up to four foot high. I uh, I mean he he was a jumping son of a gun and and, and really it was probably helped me tremendously because I learned to ride English. There's well, no saddle horn. Yeah, there's no grip. You learn to ride with your legs. You learn to ride properly. It, it helped me a bunch. They say you know? Robert Duvall but that, is quite but the English. That cute writer. little English helmet was just you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard. I've heard. Isn't it Robert Duvall? I, I believe. Yeah. That uh, they they say rides English quite a bit. Yeah. But yeah, I mean there's. It's a, it's a lot more difficult than people realize. Oh yeah, but 
I just can't picture you in the pants. So you know, we're we're gonna. We're oh, gonna, I had my jodhpurs okay. and my boots, and you know that was what you had to do. But you know, you you learn a game, and uh, I really took a liking to horses. And when we got back home, we get, we were able to get a couple more and kept them up at a stables about three blocks from the house, and it all started from there. Do you ever wish you'd go back and 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 play a little more baseball? You know. Yeah, it w- it probably would have been nice, but you know, I was blessed to play a game I love for 30 years. And I've been from Hawaii to Florida, Alaska to Brazil, just about every state in the United States, worked with the greatest guys I could ever work with, have met so many good people and seen places and things that I would have never had the opportunity to do with a regular 40-hour-a-week job that it was worth three broken necks, one gorn, one broken line, five ma- five major injuries in thirty years, and it was worth every one. I was just getting ready to ask you because one of the things that everybody talks about is the three broken necks. Talk us through those because to me, it, it takes me a broken fingernail to say, you know what, I've had enough, I'm done. But you broke your necks three different times. You know, I, I broke I broke my neck the first time in 19, 1992, right after Sherry and I had separated about about three months after the separation and. Uh, probably was the first time that God was trying to give me a wake-up call about the way I was going about things in my life. Okay. Do you think that had an impact, or you think that – I don't want to say caused it, obviously, but do you think that that emotions sometimes get in the way and it causes us to have things like that happen? I think that when you've got so many different things going on in your life – and I had been married to Sherry. We were married almost 10 years. Right. And I was a sorry son of a bitch. Right. No, right. And, no and ifs or buts about it. I can't point and say it was Sherry's fault. Huh? Yeah. Remember right. when you point, there's three fingers pointing right back here at you. Absolutely. That, that the, the person that caused that was me. There's, there's no doubt about it. I, I was a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And to the point that I didn't even like looking at the guy in the mirror. And rather than stand and fight, I ran. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, during that run, I ran into the lady that I'm married to now that's been the rock of my life. And we've been together, it's going to be 26 years. We'll have been married this year. We've been together 27 and a half. Um, Carla saved my life. Go Carla, Carla, and God, God and Carla. Yeah, but life. God put Carla you know, there. Yes. So I mean, I mean, obviously, we 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 give everything to God, but God uses people. A hundred percent uses people. And, and so I I broke my neck, and of course, so many people, you know, he's done. It's over with, yeah. and. I was like, man, I'm I'm gonna fight bulls. I I got to prove everybody wrong. And and it, by this time, I've won the world four times, yeah. and sit out the rest of '92. I break my neck in March of '92 at Monroe, Louisiana. Back to Louisiana. Back, back to Louisiana. Break it there. Come don't don't get to go to the finals that year. Come back the next year, 93, I win third for the world. 1994, I dedicated the year to Carla. I win the world in 94. That night when it was all over, you know, man, I won number five. And we get back to the Gold Coast Hotel, get checked, get up to the room that night. And I sat on the edge of the bed like Scott sitting right there, and I bawled like a baby. Because the piece that I was expecting that buckle to give me, wasn't there. It didn't give it. Win, winning another buckle and proving everybody wrong, it didn't give me the peace I was looking for. And and it was a big eye-opener. 95, I get through 95. 96, I come back, and I'm in the lead for the world in Memphis, Tennessee, in the last go-round of the bullfight. We're in September. We're mm-hmm. six weeks out of the NFR and I slip in front of Hillbilly. Hillbilly hits me in the ass. Rudy burns his barrels probably about 10 feet from me, and it just shoots me at that barrel. I hit that barrel with the top of my head. I break C1 in three places. That's the one Christopher Reeves broke. Right. In one place. Yeah. yeah. Should be sitting in a wheelchair blowing through a straw. I walk away again. During those years right in there, 
National Geographic and Discovery Channel had both done documentaries with me. Uh, and when the guy asked me the first time about, you know, well, why would you go back and fight bulls? And I always said, my quick, smart-ass answer always was, well, if God meant for me not to fight bulls, he'd have made it so I couldn't. And uh, he's got a plan for me. I just don't know what it is. Yeah. And I was, I, I mean, I was raised Catholic. I've known God was there, but I always kept him at a, at a comfortable distance. And a lot of times we use answers like that. And I've been guilty of it. You know, when I was younger, a lot of times we use answers like that to deflect right. any serious conversation about reality. Yep. I mean, now you and I, we can sit and we can talk about our faith and religion all day, every day. But at times in our lives, we, we use that to deflect from really yeah. diving into the conversation. Say, yeah, I know he's yeah. there, but, you know, it's just, yeah. yeah. And and at, at those points in life, too, because you don't have the relationship with Jesus Christ like what he wants with us, mm-hmm. we, we play the religion game, which is just what you mentioned there. And we just want to rub him like a genie bottle when the heat's on. Yeah. But the rest of the time, we want, or when to keep, it looks we, good. we want to keep him in the closet. Yep. And so I break my neck 96, 97, I don't go to the bullfights. I tell Carlo, okay, I won't go anymore. I get a phone call from Lynn Shaw out of Twin Falls, Idaho, and he asked me to come to a rodeo school Bible camp in June of 98. And... I said, yeah, yeah, I need to go. But, you know, it was like, man, before I go there, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I need got, I got some cleaning up and some things to do in my own life that I need to get right before I come up there and try and tell kids how they need to be. And uh, Lynn Shaw were talking on, on old school house phones. <laughs> and, and he goes, well, he goes, in your documentary, didn't you say God had a plan and you just didn't know what it was? I said, yes, sir. And he goes, I'll say, I'll be easy on your mic. You will be in Twin Falls, Idaho. And I pulling the phone away from my ear and I said, Yes, sir. So Carla and I, we load up, we go to Twin Falls, Idaho. I'm getting ready to crack back out and I go to Sisters, Oregon, and then was gonna go to Reno. So we get we get there and Alan Bach. Jake Barnes, Clay O'Brien Cooper, Scott Mendez, Cody Custer, Andy Taylor, the the who's who of our sport that are men of God, Strand Smith, yeah. Rope Myers, they're all there. What year? 19, 1998. Okay. 20 years ago this year, yeah. or this past year. Rope Myers gets up, it's the first day, I'm, I'm on this far side of the stage watching, and there's a hundred and some kids out there and everybody's listening. Rope Myers gets up and Rope starts talking and giving his testimony and he's walking back and forth and back and forth and as Rope's talking about what the things that God's done in his life and the tears are coming down his face and I can see the tears of joy and and I'm thinking to myself, man, I've spent a lot of money and chased a lot of things trying to get what he's got right there. And... uh the first, the first morning, the first altar call, and it wasn't didn't take Rob to have to listen to eight or ten guys give their testimonies and what God had done. Rope made they made an altar call, and the first person on his knees was Rob Smets. Yeah. And when all them guys come up and laid hands on me, it felt like they lifted a building off my shoulders. Have I made mistakes since then? I made plenty, you know. Uh, but the one thing about it is, if we'll just show up, he'll take care of the cleaning up. You know, you you don't have to you don't have to clean up first. We just, we've just got to come. We've got to be willing to step up. The most godliest people on this planet make mistakes. Oh, and I think that that's sometimes. I think sometimes we get so caught up in doing our best and and trying to be as perfect as we can that those little mistakes ruin us and step us back because we focus on those mistakes instead of saying, you know what? I'm human. I made a mistake. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to move forward. But when we ask for forgiveness, what we got to remember is it's got to be more than a, I'm sorry. Huh? Because there's way too many of us in this world that are all get away with, I'm sorry. And we just, I'm sorry, let's go. You know, well, that's not it. Repentance is 
the the idea of a turning around that's wanting to make a change in our life and that and that's what it's about we have to come to the father with a repentive heart and then with our faith he's there with arms wide open to receive his grace and then then the holy spirit will come to live within us and then things start walking in a right way and it, and it all comes in little bits and pieces like i like i share with people on my facebook page with my thought for the day I want everybody to know this has been a 20-year journey. Yeah. This didn't happen overnight. You know, what what you see and that Rob Smets has finally got bold enough to be able to step up and share with others and, and talk about the things that have happened in my life. It didn't happen overnight. But Here, but the other in. part of it is you want to grow, you know, because he didn't save us to save ourselves. He does tell us that he saved us to help with the harvest. You hear so many people that say you know, overnight sensation, overnight success. Well, it took them 20 years to become an overnight success. It's that it's the exact same thing. It takes a long time to build up to whatever it is and not just in faith or not just in, you know, Christianity in everything in, in work. Oh yeah. I hear people all the time that say, you know, man, you know, it's yesterday you were announcing junior rodeos. Yeah, that was 14 years ago. Right. It took me a long time to a get lo- here. A lot of work and a lot of dedication. Huh? And care. And a lo- and you a have lo- to care. Oh, you've got to care. You've got to care. And you've got to be willing to, you know, take criticism and to learn from it. So I, w- I want to go back to, you know, the beginning stages of bullfighting. Was it immediately bullfighting? Was there ever any thought in your mind, you know, I, I bucking horses, bulls, roping? I got I got on bear. I, I worked every event in high school, but the boys cutting. I mean, I've I've roped roped calves, bulldogged. I made the high school state finals in the bulldogging. I uh, got on saddle bronc horses. I rode bulls, but once I started fighting bulls, it, I really picked up on it quick. Pretty soon, they started handing me a check for something I was having fun doing, and it was like, man, this is what I want to do for you know. It's, it's this is what I want to do for a living. Funny how when they start handing out money for something like that, I'll, I remember saying no to my second announcing offer. I kind of got forced into it when I first started. And, and you know, Connie Mendel and Paul right. Mendel, and, you know, they had that little junior bull riding association. And I remember saying something about me coming back and doing another one. And I said, nah, I'll never do this again. No offense. But, and then it was, well, I'll, I'll pay you $75. Well, what time do I need to be yeah. here? Huh? Cause my dad told me when I was a kid, you better make a living with your mouth. Cause you damn sure ain't going to work for it. So <laughs> here we are. And they could never say I didn't listen. What, what was the, what was the family like growing up? You know, dad, like I said, dad did heavy construction work. He was, when we were in Australia, mm-hmm. he was gone quite a bit because he would have to be work gone two and three months at a time and then come home for about three weeks and then go again. Uh, but my dad was always very encouraging. Yeah. My mom, my Italian mother, she's, she's a rock, you yeah. know, and, uh, I, I was blessed. I've got a younger sister that's four years younger than me, Betsy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what, whatever we chased, our, our parents were a hundred percent behind us and they've always been that way. Yeah, and I feel like that led you to be a good parent too. And you, you, you and I talked earlier about, you know, it's hard. We spend a lot of time away from home. It's hard. And I, I wasn't as fair to Josie and Sammy as I should have been. You know, uh, Corey, Corey and Dylan got a lot more of my time. You know, once I settled in and settled down and, you know, was with Carla and, and we've grown and been together and, you know, like I was saying, we were talking earlier tonight, Cor- Corey's 38, Josie just turned 35, Sammy turns 30 in another three days, and and then Dylan will be 30 later this year, too. You know, Crazy. Time flies by. But I, I feel like life's a learning experience. It is. It is. Every day is a learning experience for me. And what, what I try to share with everybody, too, is is the accepting Jesus – Getting, getting him into our lives, and that, that Bible's a big book, and it's yeah. an intimidating book because it's so big. But if you'll go and pick a place to start reading and just read a page, mm-hmm. if, if you, I promise if you open that book up, one of those two pages, somewhere in there, 
is going to have something for you. Something's going to hook uh, you. Something, something's going to be there that's going to touch your life. Or, or there's been days, you know, I, I sell I sell trucks at the Dodge dealership there in Pleasanton, Texas now. Yeah. Or there's some days that I go, man, I just really don't don't know where that's going there. And then I'll get to work, and I might run into you and say, hey, Matt. And Matt says, hey, this. And I go, there it I got, is. I got something for you. It wasn't for me that day. It's but, you know, the father talks about boldness too. And he wants us to be bold enough to step up and to share him with other people. And and that's that's what's really been good but for if me. If you're anything like I am, ultimately it is for you. Because little things for me, things that we're supposed to do, like holding the door open for right. somebody or smiling at a stranger, asking somebody how their day is. When they respond and they smile, I know that they, they're getting some sort of joy out of it, but I think I get even more. And we, and we do, and, that, and that's what, with, along with what you're saying. When we see, you know, if we'll just open our eyes and be looking, we can see somebody with sad eyes that just needs us to start slowing down and take a little time to listen, you know. Cowboys, the trouble with cowboys, cowboys are all about toughen up, cowboy up, <laughs> suck it up. Yeah. And really what the father's put on my heart is he wants us to soften up. Yep. We need to take time. We need to be able to say, hey, Matt, what's, what's going on? It's what, like breaking a cold. What's, what's the matter? Right. Like you know? Sometimes you really got to soften yourself to get right. that horse to soften up. Yep. Instead of just going in there and push, 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 being so hard all the time, you've got to ease up. Yep. You've got to soften up. Uh You've traveled all over the world, obviously. Yes, sir. Where do you think your favorite place was? And and twofold. One, just your favorite place. And two, your favorite place to work. Um, Man, I, I was blessed. I, I've worked every major rodeo in the country other than the Houston Astrodome and the Calgary Stampede. Really? Those are two... You know, crazy, and those are two. Crazy. I mean, I, I would have loved to, and if I had my pick, and and me being a 26 year member of living in Texas, Houston's not going to be happy with me. But I would have really liked to have gone to Calgary <laughs> one time. Man, I got Houston. to go up there last year, and I've heard about the Calgary Stampede obviously my whole life, and and I thought it was just a really big rodeo. It is insane. Yes, how big the Stampede? It's like. Every state fair I've ever been to on steroids, right. and then throw this gigantic rodeo, and then another show. It's it's huge, and then the wagon races. Yeah, the chuck uh, wagon and races, the, and the wagon races will get as big a crowd as the rodeo. That's something that anywhere else in the world sells just by itself, yeah. but up there, it's just part of the entire yeah. spectacle. Yeah, um, I worked my very first finals was the Canadian finals in nineteen eighty. And uh, the Glass family taught me how to outride, so I'd fight bulls in the daytime and outride in the wagon races really? at night. Oh, it was fun. Gary Lauder, a good buddy of mine that now lives down in Arizona, but Lauder was an outrider. And Tommy Glass and Gary, they kind of pointed me in the direction of how to go about outriding. And so I outroded a bunch of them rodeos up there. And Did you spend it, a lot of time fun. in Canada? I, I spent a whole – 1980, I spent – all year up there. Really? Yeah. Is that the only time you worked the Canadian Finals? That was it. The only time I worked the Canadian Finals. But you were uh, in this whole PBR thing that I that I know now that I'm fortunate enough to be a part of. Uh, you've been around since the beginning. Yes, I was. I was blessed to be there when it all started, and you know, I, I've been like I said earlier in that my 30 year career. I've been blessed because I have been with the best bull riders in yeah. the world yeah. all the way through. You know. Yeah. And I think for me, that's that's exceptionally positive because I get to tell their stories. And it's not like just a bunch of guys that are falling off all the time. No. Like, they're the best guys in the world. They've all got a story, and I get to tell those stories now. It's a lot of fun for me. And that's what was so powerful about coming this weekend and getting to be part of the PBR here in Sacramento and looking that for their, maybe the first time in quite a while – you had nine out of ten guys that are riding at fifty percent or better. Yeah, huh? I mean, and the bulls are powerful. Yeah, the bulls are powerful. I'm not saying the bulls haven't gotten better, but they've got a lot more A team bulls. There's a okay? lot more you know, of those. There's a lot more of the upper grade bulls than there was back in the day. 
Sorry, I, sh- I checked my I, cell phone. Yep. I, uh, it's crazy. 2019, I was watching pro wrestling on yeah. my cell phone earlier. Yeah, I saw him. Yeah, and now every Going time to I, the top rope and yeah, coming with it. Now, every time, I, it looks like I'm taking a selfie every time I look at my phone because now my phone has to see my face to open up and unlock for me to actually get it Uh-oh. on my phone. It makes no sense at all. Yeah. makes no sense. Yeah, you'll really be saying it makes no sense when somebody goes to cutting your eyes out so they can use your phone, huh? <laughs> <laughs> now, you, now you've started James, producing Saw it's movies. It's old James Bond movie. <laughs> did, you did some acting. I, I I worked on a few movies. I did I, High Low Country. I doubled Woody Harrelson um, in the, in the big scene where he was the brother that came over the fence and untied his brother that was hung up to the bull. How and, did that happen? How, I mean, how did you get into that world? Well, through Gary Lefew. Really, Gary. I, I worked some commercials. In my younger days with Lafue, we made a Coca-Cola commercial, and I made a Bud Light commercial with the Carrillos, and yeah, I was I was blessed to have worked on a few different commercials, and we worked on uh, you did a Jägermeister commercial, the, Jäger, the Jägermeister commercial. We I, and that was how cool is that? We we go to Prague to the Czech Republic, really, and you I went all the way. We went all the way to Prague and was there for a week to shoot the commercial. I was with Kerry King from the rock mm-hmm. band Slayer, yeah. Keyshawn Johnson, the football yeah. player, Freddie Roach, who is Manny Pacquiao's coach and in his own right was a great Boxing boxer, legend. Mike Lingerfeld, car tire changer for Carl Edwards, the world champion car tire changer, and uh, Nathan Fletcher, not the Nathan Fletcher from Ride TV, but the Nathan Fletcher, the surfer from Hawaii that had, at that time had surfed a 70-foot wave, which was the biggest recorded right. wave at that time. You know, so a group of guys that were daredevils and just really cool to be with. And then I got to be the guy that was the feature of the commercial, you know. I remember seeing it. It I was cool. Flipping it on TV and going, wow, that is a crazy group of, of just scary, tough guys and, and watching it. And it's almost like a movie plays out. In, and I don't know how long it was, 60 seconds or however yeah, long it was. It was just a little was. over a minute, but. But it. it told this whole little story and there's there's rob and i'm like hey i know that guy i know that guy uh that's crazy and that first day when we, when we do the opening scene where they're all sitting at the table yeah. and i come through the door you know and everybody's heads pop around even though you know it's all going to happen that first morning you walk down that hall and we're in a castle that was built in the 1100s and you walk down that hall and open that door, and everybody's heads snap around. And I mean, the hair on the back of my neck stepped up, just stood up. And it was it was pretty powerful, you know. And, and what was really good was at the end of the day, I mean, obviously, the, during the day while they're shooting the commercials, everybody's drinking apple juice. But at yeah. the end of the day, there was a couple of Jägermeister shots, and everybody's sitting around and kind of picking each other's brain on their sport and this and what they'd done. And, and it was really cool, you know, and what a great group of guys and, and everybody really exceptional in their sport. It, it was you, a lot of fun. Do you think they put you in that role because you were the toughest guy out of the crew or because you couldn't snap your neck around like everybody well, I else? Just couldn't, I just couldn't <laughs> look around anymore. So, you know, I can't, I can't look back. That's a no-fly zone. Uh, we joke, but, like, it, it has. I mean, it's 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 made it difficult to do certain things you know what you're not going to hear me say that and i won't concede to that because i'm not in a chair i'm not in a box you know when when i went into and then you know so i break at 92 i break at 96 in 2006 in reno nevada 13 years ago i break it for the third time and i break t7 and c1 and uh it's over and i get to andrew dossett in Dallas, Texas, and Dossett starts giving me the speech, and I look at Dossett, and I said, Dossett, how many times you give this speech? And he says, Smets, what part of this don't you understand? <laughs> he goes, how, tell me somebody you know broke their neck three times. I said, I don't know anybody. And he goes, you know why? Because they're not here. Yeah. I said, okay, I got it. Yeah. And Carla looked over at me, and she said, hey, what, what, what else have you got to do? What have you got to do to prove prove right. anything right and i said you know it's been a, it's been a good role and carla goes i don't want to push you in a wheelchair yeah i said okay yeah and uh so then that ended and then uh i res- was blessed by the pbr to receive the jim shoulders award gonna get got notified i was gonna get the jim shoulders lifetime achievement award i told i called cody lambert up 
I said, Cody, you know I can't accept that award without stepping around a couple of bulls. And he goes, what? And I said, hey. I said, shoulders, I worked a lot of rodeos for shoulders. He, it means a lot to me. And I said, I'm not asking you to let me fight a bunch of them. But I said, I promise I will be ready. I, I will go to the gym. I got yeah. up at the gym yeah. for five months every morning, 4.30 in the morning, and went to the gym. And I, I got in as good a shape as, heck, I might have ever been in. And, uh, you know, got to run around those three or four bulls and, and tip my hat. And it was so important to me because I didn't want my career ending going out on a board. Yep. And the PBR blessed me with the opportunity to run around a couple tip my hat in the Thomas and Mac one last time and go out on my own two feet. We talked about that earlier and you know, it's been a difficult last couple of weeks for, for all of us, but man, nobody gets to go out on their own terms. Yeah. I mean, rarely do you see that people, people, you know, we see it especially in the rodeo world guys that, you know what, I'm going to make it one more run. I'm going to go one more year and I'm really going to make a hard run at it. And then, Man, for all of us as fans, you see, it's I don't want to say it's disappointing because they're chasing a dream, but they don't live up to what their expectations are. And then you got to step back in and be exactly where you wanted to be, uh, you know, to end it where you wanted it to end. Yeah. And, you know, so many times, unfortunately, see we do see guys play the sport. It's hard to let go. Yeah. It's hard, you know, it's it's what we've done. I, I, it's all I'd done since I was 18 years old. Yep. And to be truthful, the first couple of years after I was done, I couldn't even turn the PBR on on TV to watch. Because if I would see a mistake, it'd be like, oh, you know. Yeah. And, and it was... It, well, and it's, it's hard. It stole my peace so much that the best thing to do was turn the TV off. Yeah. It, it's hard. It's hard to see something that... That, and I can only imagine, you know, if, if I wasn't going to work every day at a place that I loved going to work, it's hard. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of things that creep into your mind. And, you know, we, we've talked, I've talked with a lot of friends about overcoming, you know, different types of depression, different types of, you know, roadblocks that get in all of our way. And, man, some guys don't get through that. We're lucky enough that I think we're all strong-minded enough that – you know, hey, I, I can stay away, and then I can come back when it's time. Right. And and you've done that. Now, you know, you've come back. You've, you've started announcing. You're, you're a broadcaster now on Ride Pass this weekend. You, you found ways to stay involved because you love the sport. Well, and I do love the sport. And getting to come back this weekend, see you, yeah. work with Scott, you know, and, and get to see a bunch of the guys in it. Fortunately for me, there were there's a few of these seasoned veterans like Willingham and Nance and you know and and Outlaw. I was around him a little bit. Obviously, he was coming in. I get to see Justin McBride and yeah. was there on the night that Justin won his million dollars and you know at the Thomas and Max. So, the, there I got to see some old friends and it's always nice to get to come back and then to go sit in the real-time sports medicine room and talk with Tandy who mm -hmm. has been a big influence throughout all of my career because he's been he's been with me through a couple of those broken necks in fact he was the one that sent me to Dawson yeah you mentioned you mentioned McBride and, and his million dollars what were some of the things what were some of the highlights that you're like man I was I'm glad I was in the arena because I have things that you know I have like buddies of mine that retired, like when Brennan Clark retired, when Luke Snyder retired, when those guys decided, you know what, uh, I got to be there to do uh, Chris Shivers' retirement interview inside the Thomas and Mac. What are some of the things that like that you look back and you go, man, I'm I'm glad I was there for that. I'm I'm glad I was there for maybe the most memorable thing of my career would be. The Challenge of Champions mm. between Chris Shivers and Little Yellow Jacket. Yeah. Yeah. In Colorado. And all week long there, we got up at five o'clock in the morning. We were on the radio stations. We were on radio, TV, going to promote Chris getting on Little Yellow Jacket for a million dollars. Yeah. All the way to the day of the event. And we were up at five o'clock in the morning doing radio and TV shows. Now, I want you to think about any other sport 
where you would ask a world champion to be out of bed at 5 o'clock in the morning to go promote your sport at what he does and get ready to, and then expect him to go compete against the guy that afternoon. At the highest level you know, possible. At, at, the, hi- at yeah. the highest level possible. Yeah. And Chris never hesitated. It didn't work out that day. He got bucked off. I remember him leaning right up. He, he was on the ground again, up against the panels. Tears in some tears in his eyes. He was, you know, upset. A million dollars had gotten away from him, and I remember walking by and reaching down and sticking my hand out and saying, "Come on, champ, get up. There'll be another shot." Yeah. And he and he reached up and we pulled him up and of course the crowd was all behind him and he tipped his hat and he walked out and walked into that media room and he tipped his hat and was a champion. And tipped his hat, and he bragged on Little Yellow Jacket and how great he was, and he thanked all his sponsors and everything he did. And it's easy to keep a smile on your face when you win a million dollars. Yeah. But when a million dollars has slid through your fingers and you feel like the world's gotten away from you, that was the biggest class act I've seen in the 30 years of my rodeo career. I think we're fortunate that we're involved in a sport where guys are raised to be humble in defeat and humble in victory. Uh, I always think about like McBride and, and McBride has a little bit of a, you know, a different kind of humor. And, and I remember that and to me, it's become an iconic moment where he says, I'm a rich cowboy. You know what? He was, yeah. he was a rich cowboy, but he was humble in saying that. Um, shivers, obviously. And, and I remember the day inside Thomas and Mac, that he said, you know what, this is this is it. And and given they they gave me the opportunity to go up and interview him. And I remember putting the microphone in front of him and he grabbed it and he was so overcome with emotion. And I thought, you know what? It's not because he's a world champion. It's not because he's rode all of these bulls for ninety plus points. That right there, it's because he loves he what loves he's doing. He loves the game. That I'm such a fan. I, I I just I love that. Who were you fans of? I mean, obviously Jim Shoulders, but like, who did you did you think? Okay, that's the guy. May you know Mayhan was a great guy. Tom, getting to go and sit down with Tom Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did the right yeah. TV, the Heroes and Legends. Yeah, Tom Ferguson and I came off the same street in San Martin, California, and what three miles guy. apart. He you know he's twelve years older than me, but but to get to talk to Tom because. Still to this day, you can be carrying on a conversation, but as soon as you start talking about an event, his eyes light up and it's all, where was the tip of your rope? What was your focus? I mean, it's still there. That fire, you can see why he won the world because, you know, when everybody else was done tying, Tom was still going. It was funny because that exact thing you're talking about, the heroes and legends. Scott, I don't know if you were standing there with me or not, uh, but he came out and there were, I know there was a group of us. There were three or four of us that were getting ready to to go somewhere else and and he introduced himself he said tom ferguson and my immediate reaction was like yeah i know yeah i mean the tom yeah yeah i i know i got that but um it's incredible and again it just goes back to how humble most of the athletes in western sports are and how lucky we are if you had to put a a mount rushmore together four guys mount rushmore bullfighting oh pressure's on bullfighting bullfighting yeah Holy smokes. Well, Wickpath. Yeah. Wick, Skipper, Miles. It's okay to say Rob Smets. It's okay. I, I'd, I'd <laughs> like to say I could be in that in, in that group. You know, in the, uh, the first time I was eligible for the PRC for the Hall of Fame, and I didn't go in, and I was upset. Yeah. You know, and my wife told me how vain I was and egotistical I was, and I said, but "No, you worked for I it. said, I said it was it wasn't about that." And she, I said, "It's not to say that I'm better than anybody. You know what's important to me? Why I want to be in there? Because it says I can play with the best of them. Yeah. And from there on out, let whoever wants to argue about who was the best, I don't care." But I want to be able to be able to say I could tie my cleats on with the best, and that was the the biggest blessing. Now the the biggest blessing was I went in with whom I consider 
the greatest bull rider that ever was. And that was with Jim Sharp. Yeah. That, and, I, and, and that day when I gave my speech and Sharp was sitting behind me, I said, you know, throughout my career, I've been asked who was the best. And I said, I feel very blessed to be getting inducted the same year with the guy I consider was the best in my career and Jim Sharp. And I, and in the same breath, I said, now, before you pick up those cell phones and start calling that short squatty guy in Mesquite, Texas, I said, don't <laughs> do not, do not get me wrong. There is a reason that he has eight gold buckles yeah. because there's nobody don't bet against him. Don't tell him he can't because there is nobody that will pull their rope a little tighter and try a little harder than Donnie Gay. There's a reason he's got eight gold buckles. But the reason Jim Sharp doesn't have more gold buckles was he made it look too easy. Yeah. He rode bulls that everybody else won rodeos on and he would sit in the middle of them and win third and fourth when other guys that rode those bulls were winning the rodeos. They talk so much about the greatest of all time in in every sport. And, you know, I always say it's not always the guy with the most trophies in the room that's the best athlete in the room. I mean, you look at a Michael Jordan, you look at Kobe Bryant, you know, LeBron James now is in that conversation. You throw Kevin Durant or whoever, Magic Johnson. But, I mean, I look at, I look at a guy like M- Michael Jordan, and even when his team around him wasn't good, he came back and played with the Washington Wizards, for goodness sakes. Yeah. They suck. Yeah. But Michael Jordan was still Michael Jordan, no matter who was around him. And I think the same could be said about Razor. You know, Ray, Razor was great. And then really and truly, though, Tough, Tough had a better riding percentage than even Razor. Yeah. You know, yeah. you want to talk about it. There's, there's a gamer. I, that whole group of guys – Tough and Ty and you know Jim Norman Curry yeah Wacy Kathy I I was blessed I saw all those guys in my career and uh, Charles Sampson you know good yeah. Charlie a good guy Teddy Teddy News everybody goes on about Wacy Wacy qualified fourteen times which was a record Charlie Sampson was uh, oh sorry Ted, Ted News qualified 14 times in a row and won a world championship. I think the most impressive thing about Charlie Sampson is, uh, I, and I didn't know it until I had Adriano on the podcast, Charlie was uh, an interpreter for Adriano when he got here. Right. And he said that the, the only way he would do it was somebody would ask a question, they'd say, hey, well, how does it feel to be in Del Rio? And Charlie would look at Adriano and he'd just yell, how does it feel to be in Del Rio? And that's how he thought he was interpreted. For- and, and, the, and the good thing about Charles, Charles Sampson has been such a great ambassador for the sport of rodeo and bull riding. So nice. Always got a smile on his face. Charlie is a great champion. I'm going to have to get him on here someday. Charlie will be great. I think he'd be Charlie, awesome. Charlie, Teddy Noose. Yeah. See, Both. because I'm, I'm – I'm, I'm a little bit older than the uh, demographic of the locker room right now. Right. Uh, so I'm, I I grew up a fan, and and that's why this is this is super cool for me. So I appreciate you doing this because it means a lot. Uh, I've I can't get out of here without telling a, a Rob and Matt story. The first time, I think it was the first. It was either the first or second time you and I ever got to work together. I think it might have been the second time we got to announce together. Eugene, Oregon. Yep. Matthew Knight Arena. Yep. Uh, we get through the first perf. Everything was great. Had a lot of fun. Second night, old Matt shows up and can't find his hat. Can't find a cowboy hat. So I had to run down to the local feed store or, or whatever it was and buy the cheapest, the only black hat I could find that would fit. And I come back and it was so horrible. And we, I, I couldn't, do you remember this at all? A little uh, of it. And so, you know, it, it needed shaped. It needed something done to it. And so... Rob Schmetz, you know, helps me walk around this arena until we find a place in the back of a kitchen where they keep hot dogs. Yeah. And they're boiling water. And we're steaming it. And so we open up this hot dog container, whatever it is that holds hot dogs, and and Rob steams it. Cock the lid so that the steam will come up out of there. And Rob Smets helped me shape my hat in a hot dog steamer one night in Eugene, Oregon. That's going to be one of my favorite stories of all time. Uh, Eugene was a good bull riding. Oh, it was so much fun, man. So much fun. I hope we go back there someday. Yeah, I know we went back fun. a couple of times, but but uh it's a lot of fun. You uh if if you if anybody's listening from Calgary Stampede, you still got cleats. <laughs> uh, if Calgary if Calgary <laughs> bring me, I'd probably try one more time. You still got cleats. Yeah. Uh you mentioned earlier the Facebook. 
I've got a Facebook page, Rob Smith's Facebook page, and uh, I try to go on there every morning during the week. Usually on the weekends, I don't do it, and just put up a thought for the day. I yep. get up in the, early in the mornings and try to spend a little time in my Bible, uh, listen a little bit to Charles Stanley, and get something to try to be able to share and put out there to try and let some other people know that our Lord and Savior is sitting there. He's merciful and forgiving. And my question to you is, do you hope that you're going to heaven, or do you know that you're going to heaven? And if you want to take care of that, I know how you can get there. All you got to do is walk in faith and receive his grace. How do you want people to remember Rob Smets? I want people to remember that Rob Smets loved the game. Yeah. That'd be the most important thing to me, that I loved the game with all my heart. I don't think there's ever going to be any question in that. And I, I, I hope you understand what a positive impact you've had on so many people, fans, friends, uh, fellow bullfighters. You've been a positive, positive influence on more people than you'll ever know. Well, I appreciate that, Matt. And it's like I said, I've been blessed to play a game I loved a long time and met a lot of good people and seen a lot of good things. And hopefully, hopefully God's got a few more years for me. Well, I appreciate this. I've been blessed to have you here for uh, the last little bit to have this conversation. I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, amigo. Love you, buddy. Love you.